fucking bullshit. Yep. Fucking there you dumb. go. You're doing it. it You're doing it, Peter. <laughs> I love Peter Pan. That was Hook. I know. So Peter Pan. I always want to be a boy and have fun. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Literally Literary. <laughs> With us, as always, Mr. Shonval. I am Joey Bonnier. And there he is, about to take a sip of his artesian water, Sean O'Brien. It's far from artesian water. It's 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 um Fancy osmosis. Bull- it's no, it's from your thing. <laughs> I get this is. All, I always bring an empty bottle of water here and fill it up with your os- your reverse osmosis bullshit from your thing. It, it just pains me that it is specifically Fiji. Oh no, it's not. We've talked about this on so many. It's the occasions. same bottle for the last twenty years. Exactly. But yeah. <laughs> it's the integrity of the bottle. It's the square shape that I can squeeze and it won't explode on me when I'm driving. You know, mm. you're not supposed to reuse those. I know. Yeah. Kelly yells at me all the time. <laughs> The, the PCBs or the something. Yeah. She says some acronym too. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, all I hear is I get to save $4. Yeah. So it's fine. You shouldn't pay hey, guys for doing? water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sean's doing yeah. <laughs> Sean's doing yeah. Joey's doing okay. Um, I'm at the tail end of my coffee with a Hudson Maple Cask Rye whiskey. This stuff's good. Mm. Shawnee, what do you think of this? Yeah, Has it grown over your time? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, it's a little uh, a little harsh out the gate, but uh, uh, with my traditional amount of ice, it is certainly uh, enjoyable. I'm an ice guy, too. Yeah. I'm a big ice guy. I, I, what does it do? I mean, it doesn't seem like it just waters down a little bit. No, I saw some fancy lad on the YouTubes talking about when you drink your whiskeys, you should water it down by like 30%. No, because, that's way too much. So uh, his uh, theory or at least reasoning was that the, um, the, the more powerful alcohol actually kills your taste buds. So you don't actually get to enjoy the subtleties of the whiskey because your, your taste buds have been died off. So sure, if you're drinking Everclear, maybe <laughs> diluting it by thirty percent is good. But uh, but turning a hundred proof into seventy proof, sure, that's good. But turning a eighty proof into, you know, whatever the fuck, thirty percent of eighty is. I only know what I see on the YouTube's, man. Yeah, I can't. So if you do, but however, 24. I will say so the dilution twenty four. You said twenty four. He said twenty four. I don't know what that means. Twenty. You subtract eighty four from twenty. Oh yeah, that, uh, yeah, that works. Jesus right. Christ. Correct. That's good. Nice. Yeah. Well done, sir. What are you like a math guy over here? Joey said only one word, and then it's fine. What do hey, we, we get like for food, apples? by the way? Before we get in this in this fucking nerdy episode, what did you, I'm box. sorry. Why well, didn't you hear what you asked me? I said a lot of things. What, what do what we do get? I have here? He talks uh, a lot, doesn't he? You have uh, Ow. a Sierra a beer Nevada beer. Oh, it's a thing. Uh, do you guys have a lighter? Oh, let me hear it. No, no, Shawnee. Oh, can I? I want to open the lighter. Can I open with your lighter? He has an actual bottle opener, and he won't do it. Why would I have a lighter? May I open with this lighter then? Jesus He's trying. It's very well. Very well. What was your brand? What'd you smoke? Marlboro. Marlboro 27s. Ugh. You break off awesome. the filter. I miss cigarettes. No. Fuck that bullshit. <laughs> I had a cigarette today. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Get the fuck wow. out of here. You had a cigarette today? What? Yeah, I was hanging out with one of my friends yesterday at work, and, uh, and you know, he we were just hanging out. And he's just like, "Hey, you want to go have a cigarette with me?" I'm like, "Yeah, right on." And so then he said, "I have a pack of cigarettes. I'm probably not going to finish you one." And I was like, "All right, fine." And I'll finish what brand? The pack. What are you talking? I don't normally like them, but American Spirits. 
Uh, Why wouldn't I like them? I like American cigarettes. They color? take a really long time to. They smoke. take. They are the longest lasting cigarettes. It's it's ridiculous. What's, it's like five times as long. Which or more. which brand or which which it's which yellow. color? Yellow. Oh, American cigarettes. Yellow. Do you still have them right here? Yeah. You have them with you? Fuck! I would totally smoke a cigarette right now. Jesus. I'm like just drunk enough. Anyway. <laughs> Sean's I like, like please don't smoke an American spirit in my house. Pretty much. Not no, I'm not going to. It's <laughs> and you, do you guys know when the last time I had a cigarette was? Uh, New Year's Eve, 1972. <laughs> no. November 8th, 1955. <laughs> Close. November 8th it w- is the correct it was answer. November 5th. Wow, that's weird. It was November 8th, actually. Uh, yeah. 2004. 16. No. Yeah. He needed something to calm, calm his nerves. Yeah. Before that, before that was St. Well, actually, before that, oh, yeah, I don't that remember the individual. But the St. Patrick's Day, I guess, wow, five years ago was the last time yeah, I, I like, you, quit smoking. You confused the date of Trump and the date of... Uh, the, day uh, invent, the day Doc Brown invented Yeah, Trump it was Trump. November 5th, 1955. 1955. And, I did. Yeah, November 8th is the infamous day of the Trump. Well, anyway, I have books, my dear friends. So, I have with me... What a surprise. Yay. John Irving's The World According to Garp. Sha, right. I, I'm gonna have to structure. Garp. I'm gonna have to restructure the the, the place Christ. so we know what we're looking at here. I have He's too much obsessive, shit up here. compulsively well, moving want, stuff around. I want my Some friends bitch. to see what I'm going. I have Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway. Boo. I also have. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it is, but it's, okay, here it is. Uh, Michael Cunningham's The Hours because those two go hand in hand. Why do they go hand in hand? Sorry. The hours is a, is sort of uh, tangential to the hour the to Mrs. Dalloway. Okay, it's hard to describe, but sure. Similar uh, characters or something. Or? It, it's, Stop asking. Well, yeah, Virginia Woolf is it. one of the You're characters. Right. What yeah, am I exactly, fucking doing? Exactly. Good God! Yeah, I mean, were, what however, horrible I trap will I, I will set say, myself? By the way, yep. so Mrs. Dalloway Jesus is the last book I actually read, and it takes place in June. What's next? Um, but, but anyway, the hours that's interesting. Was, so what's that's next? What, that's uh, what, I was going to wonder what's, what's next. Relax. It's okay. Nicole Kidman <laughs> won the Oscar for playing Virginia. <laughs> oh Wolf, my God. What's the next? nose thing. And it's, it's three women characters all sort of revolving around the idea of the hours. Mrs. Dalloway takes place in one day. Massage it's fine. I promise I won't. Yeah. It was boring. No matter, matter how long a book takes place. It's still fucking as thick as it is. It can take place over the course of an hour and still be 20,000 pages. Speaking like, of thick books over one day, I have James Joyce's Ulysses. Fuck that. <laughs> also June. Also June. Jesus Christ. I have Don DeLillo's White Noise. Which, Mr. Boner, you'll like that. Um, we're back to Brett Easton Ellis's... Not white. Maybe. Uh, Less Than Zero, his first book. I have Ernest Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea. The Old Man in the Sea. I have uh, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Man, F. F. Scott, Scott Fitzgerald. I have Dubliners by James Joyce. Fuck. It was like me being a fanboy and I got to say my favorite catchphrase. I have uh, Thomas Pynchon's Mason and Dixon. And I have uh, The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. Didn't we do The Grapes? No, we have not done any John Steinbeck at all. Which is also probably the last book I... So, I didn't finish it, but I read a lot of The Grapes of Wrath right before our road trip. It's relevant to the book I'm writing, and it's relevant to the road trip we just took, but... Let's talk about negative numbers. So I don't see what's... I don't see what you're referring to. He's alluding to... Are you asking me to read James Joyce's Ulysses? Is that what's happening? Fuck no. I didn't oh, say negative morality. I didn't say negative in, uh, enjoyment. Oh, less than zero. That's Jesus fun. Christ. You want to say, let's talk about less than zero? Boner, what, what did you want to talk about? Uh, either Mason and Dixon or Grapes of Wrath, honestly. Jesus Christ. I thought I could appease you. 
Well, let's boil it down to those three. I think that that's fair. That's a fun game. Why don't you boys talk about that? That's less than three, or more than three. Less than zero. Less than three, none or of those more things. than three. It's less than zero. <laughs> it's actually just I'm going to take less three. than zero off the table for that fucking bullshit. God <laughs> whatever, damn it. Whatever, whatever, whatever that just happened there, I'm going to have to take that off the table. Uh, it's probably bad anyway. It's actually really good. I, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed Lesson Zero. Um, I, I'll bring it back. Don't worry. It'll be Grapes it'll of be Wrath. Is that a John Cusack movie? <laughs> uh, it is actually. Oh really? oh, really? It's not John Cusack. I think it's uh, Robert Downey Jr. Same difference. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Is it John Hughes? No, it's not. Mm. It's it's no. It, there but is it's no like John. Eighties or something. Ayuga. Uh, I don't know. Yes, sounds all right. That sounds right. Eighty-seven, I guess. I don't know. The the book, it's really good. That was his first book, like right out of fucking school. It was one of those weird it's like um imagine if like a thesis film in film school became, you know, like a an international fucking blockbuster. That basically is the equivalent of Lesson Zero. Mm. Anyway, whatever. Uh, I have now on the table Grapes of Wrath and Mason and Dixon, as much as we've talked I've, about this. I've made my Ironically choice. enough, by taking it off the table, I've talked about less than zero more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So sh- don't fucking nod like mm-hmm. you knew it was going to happen. Don't even front. Don't even front. We, I can continue. The only thing on the table right now. Whisper. The only things right now on the table are Grapes of Wrath and Mason and Dixon. So. Mm-hmm. I made my choice. Grapes of Wrath. Right. I don't give a fuck about it. Now. My eyes have seen the coming. I'm gonna put Wait, gra- I'm gonna it? put I'm gonna put lesson zero back on the table real quick just to clarify just to make sure that we're all on the same page and everything's okay. So I'm just shuffling the books now. I put first I, <laughs> so first 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 I put lesson zero on top, signifying that like I wanted to read that, but then I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense. So I put grapes of wrath on top, signifying nothing. I wanted to put on that. And then I put Mason and Dixon on top to clarify. So Joey, you're still grapes of wrath. Yes. Bon- uh, Sean Paul, where are you at? Did you call me Boner? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Where are you at between these three? Are you uh, okay with Grips of Wrath? Or would you prefer Mason and Dixon? I, I'm sure I'm going to hate every... Sean O'Brien has taken the books to the bottom of the table and he's now picking his book. And now, right now, the only person who knows what book we're about to read is Sean O'Brien. Sean, and Sean Paul wrote six. a six, which means nothing. <laughs> not, none of what you did meant anything. I have two books in my left hand. I have one book in my right hand. And I'm going to put the book we're about to read on the table. And that book is Sean, Sean Fah is about to roll dice, and it's going to be a right arm. A right arm. Wait, what do you mean right arm? Right arm. So, all right. Just to clarify, I'm going to now not do anything except raise my arms to the top of the table so everybody knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I want you guys to describe what's happening. Yeah. John O'Brien just put his arms on the top. One hand has his right hand, John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath. The other has the other two books. Yep, there you go. Problem solved. Dungeon mastered. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of Deloitte. That's what I wanted to sing. He has trampled out the grapes of wrath. The vintage. Where the grapes of wrath. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. A little drunk. This beer is good. It better be. Better be worth it. So, um, this book's boring as fuck and really sad, but oh, I really like it. Jesus Who Christ, has read it? What a fucking experience. I have. Joey's raising his right hand. Did you like it? I don't think I remember liking it. When did it. you read it? School. 
Maybe before like, raising like in the sun. High school, yeah. I remember everybody in high school reading this, and I was kind of jealous because I remember that. So the the Penguin Classics edition of it has this really kind of iconic fucking dust bowler face looking off, sort of with like yeah. this kind of like That's odd sarcastic resolve. The, His no. face tells a thousand stories. It's just so, it's it's. I would imagine Tom Jode. Um, <clears throat> I remember watching the movie when I was younger, or trying at least, and being bored. Um, and I remember re- trying to read it, but I was also really bored because I just remember the description of a turtle for like forever. Um, and it wasn't until just this past month when I started to read it because there was a there was a chapter in the book that I was writing that was supposed to be a parody of the book. Oh, by the way, the way I stumbled on that was I wrote I had a post it on the note card signifying the chapter that I had not written. It was an unwritten note card in the book that I had already finished the first draft of that said, like, gra- you know, Grapes of Wrath parody. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck is this? Why? And I didn't understand. And I had to, like, re-research why it was. But they were basically on Route 66, uh, and that's why it was Grapes of Wrath. It was Santa Rosa. No, that's what it was. It said Santa Rosa Grapes of Wrath. Sean's giving me this face that I'm not even sure what that face means. I think it means, why are you telling me this? And why did you write it? I think it's just a why. His face just basically says, why? It, I, I felt like there was an explanation of something there, but I didn't get it. I, 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 or ask for it. Well, that too. <laughs> but I, 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 yeah, a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. The, the, the reason being, the, the, this is more or less the most recent book I read. I've read, you, you literally see, to this point. And right I just on. did a whole road trip along Route 66. Okay. Did you read the whole book just for the research? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah, I read, I read kind of oh, most of it. Nerd yeah. alert. Like, I kind of read everything I needed to. Okay. I, I did not read the Good whole book, but out of 600 some odd pages, I read, <laughs> I read like, yeah, 600 pages. 600 I, pages of driving through uh, dust. No, no. I mean, they get to California pretty quick, but. Yeah, great. Not pretty quick. They, you know, page and then like they four or farm and stuff. They know all they I remember don't. is that That's they get the whole to, point. Is the, oh, I don't even know. I don't even remember what the fuck happened. I was so bored. <clears throat> well, so first of all, we have the title, The Great so Why did you pick it? What is that a reference to? The Great right, Breath. Yeah, you're the one who chose it. I love how much you hate it. And you're the one who like was pushing so hard. I think you just wanted to win. <laughs> that's, that's not out of the ordinary. <laughs> You're like, I don't like the book. I just wanted to win the argument. I am competitive, and I do want to be the liberal Roger Stone, but that's besides the point. Well, what's it from? The Battle Hymn of the Republic. Machiavellian the Battle Hymn Bastard. of the Republic. Well, it's what's probably that? from before that. No, well, it is before that. But what's it? It's a reference to something before that. The Grapes of Wrath is a line directly from the Battle Hymn of the Republic, which is that famous song. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, it's referring to something. to something else. Exactly. Do you guys know? Bad wine. It seems like the Bible, but I don't can't be the Bible. You got it. It's the Bible. The Bible. Totally. Yeah. Revelations. I don't remember I, I, chapter fourteen. I think um, there, it's talking about um, God. <clears throat> God sowing the, the you know. Um, God damn it! I don't remember. You can look it up. But yeah, grapes of wrath. Apocalypse whatever. kind of thing. Well, of course. That's Revelations. But I mean, yeah. Sorry. No, but if yeah, I haven't uh, read the Bible, the, 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 there, there, you know, there are, there are sort of, there's, Have there's you never watched the history channel. It will, you know, <laughs> there's sort of a reaper that sort of sows the kind of, you know, the, the, the grapes of wrath effectively without using that exact phrase. Um, that's what it's referring to, but, 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 but it was, it's, it's, it's was specifically referring to slavery is the kind of the, the, the great crime of America. And that is the, the grapes of wrath in a way, which of course, ironically enough has nothing to do with the book itself, but 
They have trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Right. That's referring to slavery, I think. So is that what you mean? Sense. Yeah. So they're talking One about well, the Battle Hymn of the Republic is directly rela- is directly talking about slavery. Yeah. Hence, the it was the Civil War song. Yeah. The, you I mean, you know. I do know. I'm just trying to parse the language. That's all. I thought that you hated that. Now, You're when right. it comes I, to Civil War, I don't like it. I'm just, you know, <laughs> just doing it now. Why don't I read the back of it? <clears throat> the Grapes of Wrath summed up its era in the way that Uncle Tom's Cabin had summed up the years of slavery before the Civil War. At once naturalistic epic, at once naturalistic epic, captivity narrative, road novel, and transcendental gospel, Steinbeck's fictional chronicle of the Dust Bowl migration of the 1930s is perhaps the most American of American right. classics. Although it follows the movement of thousands of men and women and transformation of an entire nation, The Grapes of Wrath is also the story of one Oklahoma farm family, the Jodes, who were driven off their homestead and forced to travel west to the promised land of California. It says California, but I'm going to say California. So tune in to South Park of Tears and all that. They loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly? Out of their trials and their repeated collisions against the hard realities of an America divided into haves and have-nots, Steinbeck created a drama that is intensely human, yet majestic in its scale and moral vision. Elementary, yet plain-spoken. Tragic, but ultimately stirring in its insistence on human dignity. This also won the Nobel Prize for Literature. You were right about Revelations 14. Oh, word. Cool. Congrats. Thank you, sir. And, uh... (laughs) I can read you the passage. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, please. So the angel... Probably more so. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Wait. Mm. That makes more sense. And so the coming of the Lord hath trampled out the grapes of wrath. Or hath trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Right. Cool. It's the redemption of the Republic. If we win, of course. If we, if we are able to defeat slavery, then we're good. I think we... Well, uh, From yeah, her perspective they, as the writer. Yeah. Anyway. We did. Yay. We're, the Graves, <laughs> the graves of Wrath. We're still slaves. <laughs> by John Steinbeck. Chapter one. To the red country, and part of the gray country of Oklahoma, the last rains came gently, and, and they did not cut the scarred earth. The plows crossed and recrossed the rivulet marks. The last rains lifted the corn quickly and scattered weed colonies and grass along the sides of the rows so that the gray country and the dark red country began to disappear under the green cover. In the last part of May... The sky grew pale, and the clouds that had hung in the high puffs for so long in the spring were dissipated. <clears throat> Fucking puffs. The, the sun flared down on the growing corn day after day until a line of brown spread across the edge of each green bayonet. The clouds appeared and went away. Clouds here! And in a while, they did not try any more. The weeds grew darker green to protect themselves, and they did not spread any more. The surface of the earth crusted, a thin, hard crust, and as the sky became pale, so the earth became pale, pink in the red country, and white in the gray country. In the water-cut gullies, the earth dusted 
drown, dusted down in dry little streams. Gophers and antlions started small avalanches. And as the sharp stuck, as the sharp sun struck day after day, the leaves of the young corn became less stiff and erect. They bent in a curve at first, and then, as the central ribs of strength grew weak, each leaf tilted downward. Then it was June, and the sun shone more freely. The brown lines and the corn leaves widened and moved in the central ribs. The weeds frayed and edged back toward their roots. The air was thin and the sky more pale, and every day the earth paled. In the roads where the teams moved, <clears throat> where the wheels milled and the ground and the hoofs of the horses beat the ground, the dirt crust broke and the dust formed. Every moving thing lifted the dust into the air. A waking man lifted the thin layer as high as his waist, and a wagon lifted the dust as high as the fence tops, and an automobile boiled a cloud behind it. Dust was long. It, the dust was long in settling back again. When June was half gone, the big clouds moved up on Texas and the Gulf. High, heavy clouds, rainheads. The men in the fields looked up as the clouds and sniffed at them and held wet fingers to the sense of the wild. And the horses were nervous while the clouds were up. The rainheads dropped a little spattering and hurried on to some other country. Behind them, the sky was pale again, and the sun flared. In the dust, there were, drop there were drop craters where the rain had fallen, and then were clean splashes in the corn. And that was all. A gentle wind followed the rain clouds, driving them on northward, a wind that softly clashed the drying corn. A dry went by, and the wind increased, steady, unbroken by gusts. The dust from the roads fluffed up and spread out in the f and fell in the weeds beside the fields and fell into the fields a little way. Now the wind grew strong and hard it worked at the rain crust in the cornfields. Little by little, the sky was darkened by the mixing dust, and the wind felt over the earth, loosened the dust, and carried it away. The wind grew stronger. The rain crest broke and the dust lifted up out of the fields and drove gray plumes into the air like sluggish smoke. The corn threshed the wind made it, and made a dry, rushing sound. The finest dust did not settle back to earth now, but disappeared into the darkening sky. The wind grew stronger, whisked under stones, carried up straws and old leaves and even little clods, making its course as it stale, sailed across the fields. The air and the sky darkened, and through them the, shun, the, sorry, the sun shone redly, and there was a raw sting in the air. During, the, during a night, the wind fa raced faster over the land, dug cunningly al along <clears throat> among the rootles of the corn, and the corn fought the wind with its weakened leaves until the, roots, until the roots were freed by the prying wind and each stalk settled wearily sideways toward the earth and pointed the direction of the wind. The dawn came. Dawn but, king? But no day. In the gray Stumped sky, a red sky, in the gray sky, a red sun appeared. A dim red circle that gave a little light. Was he a dragonborn? Like dusk. And as that day advanced, the dusk slipped back toward darkness, and the wind cried and whimpered over the fallen corn. Men and women huddled in their homes, and they tied handkerchiefs around their noses when they went out and wore goggles to protect their eyes. 
When the night came again, it was black night, for the stars could not pierce the dust to get down, and the window lights <clears throat> could, not e- could not spread beyond their own yards. Now the dust was evenly mixed with the air, the emulsion of dust and air. Houses were shut tight and cloth wedged around doors and windows, but the dust came in so thinly that it could not be seen in the air, and it settled like pollen on the chairs and tables, on the dishes. The people brushed it from their shoulders. Little lines of dust lay at the door stills. In the middle of that night, the wind passed on and, the, and left the land quiet. The dust-filled air muffled sound more, <clears throat> more completely than, frog do, than fog does. The people lying in their beds heard the wind stop. They awakened when the rushing wind was gone. They lay quietly and listened deep into the stillness. Then the roosters crowed and their voices were muffled, and the people stirred restlessly in their beds and wanted the morning. They knew it would take a long time for the dust to settle out of the air. In the morning, the dust hung like fog, and the sun was as red as ripe new blood. All day, the dust sifted down from the sky, and the next day, it sifted down. An even blanket covered the earth. It settled on the corn, piled up in the tops of the fence posts, piled in the wires, It settled on roofs, blanketed the weeds and trees. The people came out of their homes and smelled the hot, stinging air and covered their noses from it, and the children came out of the house. But they did not run or shout as they would have done after a rain. Med stood of their fences and looked at the ruined corn, drying fast now, only a little green showing through the film of dust. The men were silent and they did not move often, and the women came out of the houses to stand beside their men to feel whether this time the men would break. The women studied the men's faces secretly, for the corn could go as long as something else remained. The children stood nearby, drawing figures in the dust with bare toes, and the children sent exploring senses out to see whether men and women would break. The children peeked peeked at the faces of the men and women, and then drew careful lines in the dust with their toes. Horses came to the watering troughs and nuzzled the water to clear the surface dust. After a while, the faces of the watching men lost their bemused perplexity and became hard and angry in restraint. Then the women knew that they were safe and that there was no break. Then they asked, What'll we do? And the men replied, I don't know. But it was all right. The women knew it was all right, and the watching children knew it was all right. Women and children knew deep in themselves that no misfortune was too great to bear if the men were whole. The women went to the houses to their work, and the children began to play, but cautiously at first. As the day went forward, the sun became less red. It flared down, and the dust blanketed land. The men sat in the doorways of their houses. Their hands were busy with sticks and little rocks. The men sat still, thinking. Figure. That's chapter one. Yep. What do you guys think? Sean fought, hang on, let me, let me, Sean's, Sean's fought, first thought. There's a lot of dust. Yeah, man. It's a lot of a lot of descriptions of dust. A lot of people in dust. A lot of boring dust. Sure, but if you pile all the dust on top of dust, on top of dust, does it not create the sort of image in your mind that you are buried underneath it? It didn't take 400 words to do that. Joey. I was 
picturing the entire time a Terrence Malick like shot. Yeah, that's fair. That's very like, fair. Going through like the cornfield and then like seeing a bunch of dust all over the place. Like just like just seeing nature. Yeah, that's the thing. It is, it is kind of cinematic, but it is one of those things like that. That's kind of why I hate books because that entire fucking chapter was two seconds of screen time. Like that is, you know. Uh, no, it's not two seconds. <laughs> you know, it's not. It should be. Yeah, but in order to create that moment, so sure, it might not be however long it took us to read that, right? But <clears throat> it certainly wouldn't be two seconds. So at least, like, how, how, okay, tell me the appropriate screen time of what we just read. Cinematically speaking, if we were to, to appreciate the kind of dust piling onto it, how long do you think it would, it would, it would take? Terrence Malick style. Which is a little bit unfair and biased. Yeah, but. yeah. So, all right, I let's, mean, let's say, you know, I, Kubrick style. Yeah, a, <laughs> a, a normal intro to a scene. You know, it's like 10 seconds of uh, uh, wandering around in a little mise-en-scene and whatnot. And you get the, you get the, the people in the dust and the blinking. And then, uh, hey, let's do some talking. No, not if the story is that people are buried underneath this dryness. Yeah, it's not a movie I'm watching. Which is fine, but for, you don't have to watch it, but you have to appreciate how it's done. And so if you're mm. trying to... I don't have to appreciate things I don't like. But like first, oh, I, don't, I don't mean appreciate it from a viewer standpoint. I, pre- I mean appreciate it from a, from, a, from a structural standpoint as a filmmaker. If we have to create this, if we have to create the idea that we're buried underneath this dust, mm-hmm. it's not exposition. It actually is narratively necessary to have it long. So even in a movie sense, we do really kind of have to like... No, I mean, not Belabor it's... the fact that, it's, that, it, that we really are buried in the dust. Mm. So that's it. All I'm saying is that there's somewhere somewhere between two minutes and ten seconds. The, you know, I I think the happy medium trends more toward the long than it does the exposition. I guess that's you what would I mean. think that that is my, that's my assertion. I'm somewhere that's my assertion. I'm somewhere in the middle of you guys as, as usual. I think about a, a minute or forty five seconds or so. That's about right. But that's I was, way, I'm, mm. I'm imagining like a short montage or something like that. But yeah, also, that's fine. Me too. I like old movies where they have. The a, I like old movies where they start out without like any dialogue or anything, just like ambient sound. Yeah, me too. One of my favorite openings is, um, <laughs> oh shit, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Sure. When it's just the like a couple, yeah, a couple different Foley sounds of like, you know, the squeaking of the metal and mm-hmm. the chair and the wind. And then, the, and then like, it slowly eases you into it and builds tension. Like, I, I, I don't think that could ever happen nowadays because like no one has the attention span. We'll talk to Tarantino about that. He'll he'll fucking jam it down your throat if you need to. How long till we get Rosebud? How in in Citizen Kane? Mm-hmm. <sighs> when someone makes a movie about Trump, like, probably if I had like, to put money on it, I would say th- almost three minutes. Really? Yeah. No way. Fuck yes. Mm. I will put money on it right now. It is almost mm-hmm. three minutes before we hear the word Rosebud. Isn't that the opening shot like through no. the gate and no. fucking? No. Uh, Right. No, the, I mean, for the first things first, we start off with the black credits. We start off with the credits, okay. well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you're once we you're, see an image on screen, you're taking once we see from no trespassing. Uh, yeah. I would say a minute and actually, I would say two minutes and ten seconds. Hmm. All right. Joey's gonna look it up. I was thinking more like forty-five. No, no, I'm gonna say two minutes from no trespassing. Yeah. From no trespassing, trespassing to the word rosebud. Yeah. I'm gonna say two minutes All right. minimum. Two minutes, ten seconds is my number. All right, let's get to the. However, and obviously, we will. whatever Citizen Kane did is perfection. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't disagree with that. Um, and I will, however, clarify the fact that we're talking about the difference between this was five pages out of 
619. Jesus so proportionally, Christ. that was 10 seconds. <laughs> By far. Out of an Kill actual me. movie. <laughs> so you still Kill win. Me. You still win, sir. Get to the reactor. Chapter two. You'll like this, though. You'll like Tom Joad. You I'm keep gonna saying it. that about a lot of books, man. Like, uh, it's uh, very few and far between. That uh, I didn't say you like the book. I just said you like the character. <laughs> All that's, right. that's hard because he's contained within that there book. <laughs> but he is. But, it, but if you turn him in a movie that only Maybe. has ten seconds of exposition, he'd love it. Chapter two. We're somewhere near, somewhere near Barstow. Jokes start to take hold. I do need to read that again. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to read it again anyway. We didn't get enough time in that. Chapter 2. A huge red transport truck stood in the front of the little roadside restaurant. The vertical exhaust pipe muttered softly, <clears throat> and an almost invisible haze of steel-blue smoke hovered over its end. It was a new truck, shining red, and in 12-inch letters on the side, Oklahoma City Transport Company. Its doubled tires were new, and a brass padlock stood straight out in the hasp of the big back doors. Inside the screened restaurant, in, sorry, <clears throat> inside the screened restaurant, a radio played. Quiet dance music turned low the way it is when no one is listening. Joey's just watching Citizen Kane. <laughs> I want to see the beginning. I've never seen a small. You've never you, seen Citizen Kane? I made you no, watch no. it. I, I've seen it. Seen I just, I just, yeah, yeah, I got you. I just want to see the beginning again. A small outlet fan turns, turns silently in its circular hole for the entrance, and flies buzzed excitedly about the doors and windows, butting the screens. Inside, one man, the truck driver, sat on a stool and rested his elbows on the counter and looked over his coffee at the lean and lonely waitress. He talked the smart, listless language of the roadsides to her. I see him about three years ago. He had an operation. Cut something out. I forget what. And she doesn't seem no longer longer ago than a week I seen him myself. Looked fine then. He's sort of a nice guy with he ain't he ain't a stinko. Now and then the flies roared softly at the screen door. The coffee machine spurted steam, and the waitress, without looking, reached behind her, shut it off. Outside, a man walking along the edge of the highway crossed over and approached the truck. The truck. He walked slowly to the front of it, put his hand on the shiny fender. <clears throat> and looked at the No Riders sticker on the windshield. For a moment, he was about to walk down the road, but instead he sat on the running board on the side away and the uh, side away of the restaurant. He was not over 30. Bonner, where are you at? Uh, in Citizen Kane? Yeah. Uh, they're still doing these like long, slow the shots intros, okay, of so the intro shots. Got it, okay. Of the, of the actual castle. His eyes were very dark brown, and there was a Smug hint of brown bastard. pigment. No, I'm... I okay, sorry. He, he's distracting me by watching. It's not a problem, but I'm like staring at him, staring at the computer as I'm trying to read. Um, it's like students on their cell phones. His eyes were very dark brown. There was a hint of brown pigment in his eyeballs. His cheekbones were high and wide, and strong, deep lines cut down his cheeks and curves beside his mouth. His upper lip was long, and since his teeth protruded, the lips stretched to cover them for this man kept his lips closed. His hands were hard, with broad fingers and nails as thick and ridged as little clamshells. The space between thumb and forefinger and the hams of his hands were shiny with callus. The hams of his hams? Yeah. Yeah, the hams of his hands. I don't know what that means. Oh, hands. The hams of his hands. 
Yes, I thought you were saying, you know, hams of his, like John Ham's head, John Ham. No, John. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you guys want to know the verdict? Yes, sir. So from the first frame, after, right after the title card, mm-hmm. we have exactly two minutes till the first rosebud. Wow. That was 10 seconds off. How long, including the title credits? You're, you're almost there. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like two minutes and five seconds. But how long seconds. from no trespassing? Oh, how long from no trespassing? <laughs> yeah, you said two, two minutes. Ten no, because it takes a while to get up to yeah, no trespassing. Yeah, so no trespassing <laughs> takes place at like around 45, and, and the first rosebud is around 235. Uh, yeah, so two minutes. Yeah. So two minutes, 10 seconds. So, wait, I'm sorry. Say again. It was 10. It takes place at like 235 on my counter here. And the first frame. Oh, 235 is when he says Rosebud. Yeah. And when it says the title card of Citizen Kane takes place at 35 or 34 or something. So, okay. yeah, two minutes and 10 seconds, almost exactly. Right. But what was it from when we actually see no trespassing? That was what I was asking. Yeah, it's about again. It's like a little bit less than two that's minutes. thirty seconds more. So it's like From a minute. No 30. trespassing. No, no, no. Yeah, trespassing. Seconds. No tr- trespassing takes place around forty-four. Right. Okay. So it's two minutes and or I'm sorry, it's one minute and yeah. and fifty-five. Yeah, seconds. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, still took us ten minutes to read that shit. But correct. I have <laughs> I have no defense to the fact that it's very belabored. I'm just saying. Assistant Kane's fucking good. Dude, Citizen Kane is so fucking good. It's so fucking good. That's one of my steak movies. What does mm. that mean? That's a long story. You'll eat a steak and watch it? So, all right. I don't <laughs> think Ron Swanson. If Kelly's laughing, if Kelly's listening, she's laughing at me right now. I, you like once a week, I'll eat steak. I'll have like a steak Damn, night and I'll watch movies. fucking Paul and McGee over all here. All right, relax. Jeez. It's just, it's the only, it's you all I have. You drink milk with that? It's all Shit. I have. It's all I have, Mr. <laughs> Fa. I'll where watch, do you, where do you get your steak? I'll eat steak. Trader Joe's. It's like up the street. Oh, from you should, you should make yeah. yourself. Well, they have really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. I make my steaks. Like it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's like fucking. You know, twelve. How do you 10, cook 10 it? Ten bucks. Just in a cast iron skillet. Okay. I don't love myself that much. <laughs> I have treat yourself, fool. <laughs> but anyway, I'll 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 eat a steak and I'll watch a a really awesome movie. Mm. So I'll yeah. So are you saying you watch Citizen Kane every Citizen other Kane week? Is one it- of my steak night movies when I'm in that zone. Yeah, for sure. How, how like large Boogie is Nights this rotation? Fucking Hamlet. You do steak night every Friday, every Thursday. Thursday, actually, yeah. Thursday. Wow. Thursday would be the every mm. Thursday. Is that why you didn't want to record yesterday? No, I was on the road. I couldn't yeah, record. I could have called. Did you do a steak night on the road? I couldn't. But however, I did. Yes, I did grill a steak uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah. Oh. We were at the hotel. They had a grill there. Steak night Eve. We had a grill at, at the at the the resort that we were staying Swing at. So resort, a, look at you, Mister Fancy Pants. No, you can you can accredit Kelly for that. I didn't <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with that shit. All right, let's keep going with this. The man's clothes were new, all of them, cheap and new. His gray cap was so new that the visor was still stiff and the button still on. Not shapeless and bulged as it would be when it had served for a while. All the various purposes of the cap. Carrying sack, towel, handkerchief. His suit was of cheap gray hard cloth and so new that there were creases in the trousers. His blue chambray shirt was stiff and smooth with filler. A chambray. <laughs> the coat was too big. The trousers too short for, the, for he was a tall man. The coat shoulder peaks. He was big and strong. Hung and thorough. Hung down his arms, and even, the, even then the sleeves were too short and the front of the Take coat flapped loosely over his stomach. He wore a pair of new tan shoes of the kind called, quote, Army Lasts. 
uh, hobnailed and with half circles like horseshoes to protect the edges of the wheels from wear. The heels from wear, sorry. The man sat on the running board and took off his cap and mopped his face with it. Then he put on the cap and by pulling, stared at the future ruin of the visor. His feet caught his attention. He leaned down and loosened his shoelaces and did not tie the ends again. Over his head, the exhaust of the diesel engine whispered in quick puffs of blue smoke. Puff, puff. The music stopped in the restaurant, and a man's voice spoke from the loudspeaker, but the waitresses did not turn him off, for she didn't know the music had stopped. Her exploring fingers had found a lump under her ear. She was trying to see it in the mirror behind the counter without letting the truck driver know, and so she pretended to push a bit of her hair to neatness. The truck driver said, There was a big dance at Shawnee. I heard somebody got killed or something. Tony Danza? You hear anything? No, said the waitress, and she lovingly fingered the lump under her ear. Oh, yeah. Outside, the seated man stood up and looked over the cowl of the truck and watched the restaurant for a moment. Then he settled back on the running board, pulled a sack of tobacco out of a book of papers from his side pocket. He rolled his cigarette slowly and perfectly, studied it, smoothed it. At last he lighted it and pushed the burning match into the dust at his feet. The sun cut, the, cut into the shade as the truck as the noon approached. Let me get it, there's dust. In the restaurant, the truck driver paid his bill and put his two nickels change in the slot machine. The whirling, the whirling cylinders gave him no score. <clears throat> they fixed him so he can't win nothing, he said to the waitress. And then she replied, Guy took the jackpot not two hours ago. Thirty-eight he got. How soon are you going to be back by? He held the screen door a little, he held the screen door a little open. Week, ten days, he said. Got to make a run to Tulsa, and I'll never get back soon, I think. She said crossly, don't let, the flies, don't let the flies in. Either go out or come in. So long, he said, pushed his way out. The screen door banged behind him. He stood in the sun, peeling the wrapper from his piece of gum. He was a heavy man, broad in the shoulders, thick in the stomach. His face was red and his blue eyes long and slitted from having squinted always at sharp light. He wore army trousers and high-laced boots. Holding the stick of gum in front of his lips, he, cr- he called through the screen. Well, don't do nothing you don't want me to hear about. The waitress was, the waitress was turned toward a mirror on the back wall. She grunted a reply. The trunk driver n- <clears throat> gnawed down on the stick of gum slowly, opening his jaws and lips wide with each bite. He shaped the gum in his mouth, rolled it under his tongue while he walked to the big red truck. The hitchhiker stood up and looked across the windows. Could you give me a list? What's my Tom Joad voice? Let's figure this out. Mickey Mouse. I got it. (laughs) Oh, boy! Could you give me a list, mister? (laughs) 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 All right, sorry. Could you give me a lift, mister? Could you give me a lift, mister? The truck driver looked back at the restaurant for a second. Didn't you see the no rider sticker on the windshield? Sure, I seen it, but sometimes a guy'll be good even if some rich bastard makes him carry a sticker. The driver, getting slowly into the truck, considered the parts of this answer. If he refused now, not only was he not a good guy, but he was forced to carry a sticker, was not sorry, was not allowed to have company. If he took in the hitchhiker, he was automatically a good guy and also was not one whom, uh, whom any rich bastard could kick around. He knew he was being trapped, but he couldn't see a way out. And he wanted to be a good guy. He glanced again at the restaurant. 
scrunched down at the running board till we get around the bend, he said. The hitchhiker flopped down out of sight and clung to the door handle. The motor roared for up for a moment, and the gears clicked in, and the great truck moved forward. The first gear, second gear, third gear, and then a high gear, whining pickup, and a fourth gear. Under the clinging, under, under the clinging man, the highway blurred dizzily by. It was a mile to the first turn in the road. Then the truck slowed down. The hitchhiker stood up and eased the door open and slipped into the seat. The driver looked over at him, slitting his eyes and he ch- as he chewed, and he chewed as though his thoughts and impressions were being sorted and arranged by his jaws before they were finally filed away in his brain. His eyes began at the new cap, moved down to the new clothes and the new shoes. The hitchhiker squirmed his back against the seat in comfort, took off his, cat and swa- took off his cap and swabbed his sweating forehead and chin with it. Thanks, buddy, he said. <clears throat> My dog's pooped out. New shoes, said the driver. His voice was the same, his same quality of secrecy and, insula- and insinuation his eyes had. You ought to take no walk in them shoes. Hot weather. The hiker looked down at his dusty yellow shoes. Didn't have no other shoes, he said. The guy's got to wear them if you got no other shoes. The driver squinted judiciously ahead and built up the s- speed of the truck a little. Going far? Uh-huh. I walked her if my dogs weren't pooped out. Question of the driver had the tr- questions of the driver and the, had the tone of a subtle examination. He seemed to spread nets to set traps with the question. Looking for a job? He asked. <laughs> no, my own my old man got a place forty acres. He's a cropper, but we've been there a long time. The driver looked significantly at the fields along the road where the corn and fa- where the corn was fallen sideways and the dust was piled on it. Little flints shoved through the dusty soil. The driver said, as though to himself, Forty-acre cropper, it ain't been dusted out and it ain't been tractored out. Of course, I ain't heard lately, said the hitchhiker. Long time, said the driver. A bee flew into the cab and buzzed in the back of the windshield. The driver put out his hand and carefully drove the bee into the airstream that blew it out the window. Cropper's going fast now, he said. One cat's... Er... One cat takes and shoves. Sorry, one cat takes and shoves ten families out. Cats all over hell now. Tear in, and shove the croppers out. How's your old man hold up? His tongue and his tongue and jaws became busy with the neglected gum. Turned it and chewed it. With each opening of the mouth, his tongue could could be seen flipping the gun over. Well, I ain't heard lately. I never was no hand to write, nor was my old man neither. He added quickly. But the both of us, if we want. But the both of us can, if we want. Been doing a job? Again, the secret investigation casualness. He looked out of the fields at the shimmering air and gathered his gum in his cheek out of the way. He spat out the window. Sure have, said the hitchhiker. Thought so. I seen your hands been swinging a pack or axe or a sledge. That shines up your hands. I notice all stuff like that. Take pride. The hitchhiker stared at him. The truck tires sang on the road. You like to know anything else? Nope. I'll tell you. You ain't got a guess. Now don't get sore. I wasn't getting nosy. I'll tell you anything. I ain't hiding nothing. Now don't get sore. I, I just like to notice things. Makes time pass. I'll tell you anything. Name's Jode. Tom Jode. Old man is old Tom Jode. His eyes rested broodingly on the driver. Broodingly? 
broodingly. Oh. Sorry. Don't get sore. I didn't mean nothing. I don't mean nothing either, said Jode. Just trying to get along with shoving nobody around. He stopped and looked out at the dry fields, at the starved tree clumps hanging uneasily in the heated distance. From his side pocket, he brought out his tobacco and papers. He rolled a cigarette down between his knees where the wind could not get at it. The driver chewed, at, the driver chewed as rhythmically, as thoughtfully as a cow. He waited to let the whole emphasis of the preceding passage disappeared and be forgotten. At last, when the air seemed neutral again, he said, Guy that never been a truck, Skinner don't know nothing what it's like. Owners don't want to pick up nobody, so we got to get here and just Skinner along, lest we just take a chance again, fire, just like I done with you. Appreciate it, said Joe. I knew guys that done screwy things while they're driving trucks. I remember a guy used to make up poetry past the time. He looked over secretly to see whether Joe was interested or amazed. Joe was silent. Probably takes pictures of it, too. Looking at you, asshole. <laughs> Looking at the distance ahead along the road. Along the white road that waved gently like a groundswell. The driver went along at last. I remember a piece of poetry this here guy wrote down. It was about him and old couple of guys going all down the world, drink, uh, drinking, raising hell, and screwing around. I wish I could remember how that piece went. The guy had words like, like it, that like Jesus H. Christ wouldn't know what they meant. Part was like this. <clears throat> and there we spied a nigger with a trigger that was bigger than an elephant's proboscis on a wanger of a rail. That proboscis is a nose like with an elephant in his trunk. Guy showed me in a dictionary. Cowed that dictionary all the hell with him. Took it in and he was pulled and getting a pie and his coffee. He stopped feeling lonely in the long speech. His secret eyes turned on this passenger. Joe remained silent. Nervously, the driver tried to force him into participation. Ever know a guy like that said big words like that? Preacher, said Jode. Well, it makes you mad to hear a guy use big words. Of course, with a preacher, it's all right, because nobody would fool around with a preacher anyway. But this guy was funny. You didn't give a damn when he said big word, because he just done it for ducks. He wasn't putting in no dog. The driver was reassured. He knew at last that Jode was listening. He swung the great truck viciously around a bend and the tires shrilled. Like I was saying, he continued, guy that drives trucks does screwy things. He got to. He go nuts just sitting there and the road sneaking under the wheels. Fella says once the truck skinners eats all the time, all the time a hamburger joints along the road. <laughs> sure seem to live there, Jode agreed. Sure they stop, they ain't eat. They ain't hardly ever hungry. They're just so, they're just goddamn sick of going. Get sick of it. Joints is the only page, the place you can pull up, and when you stop, you gotta buy something, or you can sling the bull with the broad behind the corner. <clears throat> so, you get a cup of coffee and a piece of pie. Kinda gives a guy a little rest. He chews his gum slowly and turned it with his tongue. Must be tough, said Jode, with no emphasis. The driver glanced quickly at him looking for satire. Well, it ain't no goddamn sin, she said testily. Looks easy just sitting here till you pull your eight or maybe your ten, fourteen hours. But the road gets into a guy. You gotta do some. Some sings and whistles. Company won't let him have no radio. Few takes pints long, but them kind of don't stick long. Them kind of don't stick long. 
He said the last smugly. I never dink. I never take a drink till I'm through. Yeah? So Joe asked. Yeah. God gotta get uh, a guy gotta get ahead. Why? I'm thinking of taking them one of them correspondence school courses. Mechanical engineering. It's easy. Just study a few lessons at home. I'm thinking of it. Then I won't drive no truck. Then I'll tell the other guys to drive other trucks. Joe took a pint of whiskey from his side coat pocket. Sure you won't have a snort? His voice was teasing. No, by God, I won't touch it. Guy can't drink liquor all the time and study like I'm going to. Joe uncorked the bottle, took two quick swallows, recorked it, and put it back in his pocket. The spicy, hot smell of the whiskey filled the cap. You're all wound up, said Joe. What's the matter? You got a girl? <laughs> well, sure. But I'm going to get ahead anyway. I've been training my mind for hell a long time. The whiskey seemed to loosen Joe up. He rolled another cigarette and lighted it. <sighs> I ain't got a hell of a lot further to go, he said. The driver went on quickly. I, I don't need no shot, he said. I train my mind all the time. I took a course two years ago. He patted the steering wheel with his right hand. Suppose I pass a guy on the road. I look at him, and after I'm passed, I try to remember everything about him. Kind of clothes and, shoot and, hat and uh, sh- shoes and hat he had on and walked, and maybe how tall and weighed, and how many scars. I, I do it pretty good. I can just make a whole picture in my head. Sometimes I think I ought to take a course to be fingerprint expert. You'd be surprised how much a guy can remember. Joe took a quick drink from the flask. No, you just need a uh, a memory palace. He dragged the last smoke from his raveling cigarette and then, with callous thumbs and forefingers, crushed out the glowing end. He rubbed the butt to pulp and put it out the window, letting the breeze suck it from his fingers. The big tires sang a high note on the pavement. Joe's dark, quiet eyes became amused as he stared along the road. The driver waited and glanced uneasily over. At last, Jode's long upper lip grinned up from his teeth, and he chuckled silently. His chest jerked with his chuckles. Sure got a hell of a long time to get at it, but to, uh, to get to it, buddy. The driver oh, did not shit. look over. Get to what? How do you mean? Jode's lips stretched tight over his long teeth for a moment, and he licked his lips like a dog. Two licks, one in each direction from the middle. His voice became harsh. You know what I mean. You give me a going over when I first got in. I seen you. The driver looked straight ahead, gripped the wheel so tightly that the pads of his palms bulged and the back of his hands paled. Joe continued. You know where I come from. Was it the pads of his palms or the hands of his hands? The driver was silent. Don't you? Joe insisted. Well, sure, that is, maybe, but... Ain't none of my business. I'm my own yard. I ain't, it ain't nothing to me. The words tumbled out now. I don't stick my nose in nobody's business. Suddenly he was silent and waiting, and his hands were still white on the wheel. A grasshopper flipped through the window and lighted on top of the instrument panel, where it sat and began to scrape its wings with the angled, jumping legs. Joe reached forward and crushed it in his hand, skull-like, hard with his fingers, and he let it go into the windstream out the window. Joe chuckled again while he brushed the bits of broken insect from his fingertips. You got me wrong, mister, he said. I ain't keeping quiet about it. Sure. I've been in McAllister. Been there four years. 
sure, there's these clothes they give me when I come out. I don't give a damn who knows it. I'm going to my old man's place so I don't have to lie to get a job. The driver said, well, that ain't none of my business. I ain't a nosy guy. The hell you ain't, said Jode. That big old nose of yours sticking out eight miles ahead of you in front of your face. You had that big nose going over me like a sheep in a vegetable patch. The driver's face tightened. You got me all wrong, he began weakly. Joe laughed at him. <laughs> <laughs> You've been, you been a good guy. You give a lift, but, well, hell. I done time, so what? You want to know what I... You, ah, sorry. You want to know what I done time for, don't you? That ain't none of my affair. Nothing I... Nothing ain't none of your affair except skinning this here bull bitch around long. And that's the least thing you work at. Now look, see that road up ahead? Yeah. Well, I get off there. Sure. I know what you're waiting for. Sure, I know what you're waiting your pants again. Do you know what I've done? I ain't a guy. Um, I love Jesus. I ain't let a guy let you down. I do too right now. The high hum of the motor dulled out in the song of the tires dropped in pitch. Joe got his pine out and took another short drink. The truck drifted to a stop with the dart road open at right angles of the highway. Joe got up and stood beside the cab window. The vertical exhaust pipe puttered up its barely visible loose smoke. Joe leaned toward the driver. Homicide, he said quickly. A side of hummus? That's a big word. It means I killed a guy. Seven years. I'm sprung in four for keeping my nose clean. The driver's eyes slipped over Joe's face to memorize it. I ain't asked you nothing about it, he said. Am I my own yard? You can tell about it in every joint from here to Texola, he smiled. So long, fella. You've been a good guy, but look. When you've been in a stir a little while, you can smell a question coming from hell to breakfast. You telegraphed yours the first time you opened your trap. He spat at the metal door with the palm of his hand. Thanks for the lift, he said. So long. Turned away and walked out the dirt road. For a moment, the driver stared after him, and then he called, Look! Joe waved his hand without looking around. Then the motor roared up, and the gears clicked, and the great red truck rolled heavily away. Thank you for listening to another episode of Literally Literary. Way to go, Joey. Everyone got bored after like a minute. You're right. Not but a good choice. It was perfect timing. No, you talk about it. Yeah. But who knows out there might, might might have enjoyed it, you know? I really enjoyed it myself. I had a lot of fun. Sean, how'd you feel? Jesus fucking Christ. Would you like some Korean barbecue right now? Oh, my God. Me too. Me too. All right. <laughs> Let's eat, boys. <laughs>